So welcome to Cyberspectives. This is the first uh, episode of our new podcast through the Hoover Institution on cybersecurity, uh, where we'll be providing insights and analysis on the technology, policy, and legal issues raised by today's most pressing cybersecurity challenges. And we're really honored uh, today to have as our first guest, uh, Andy Grotto. And I'll give a, a little bit of his background. If, if, I, if I read the whole thing, uh, that would be the entirety of the podcast because he's done an amazing amount of things in, in cyber. But um, currently, Andy's position is he's a research fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. And he's also a William J. Perry International Security Fellow at the Center for International Security and Cooperation, CSAC, uh, at Stanford. And he's got a really incredible set of experience uh, in relation to cybersecurity. Prior to joining uh, Stanford, he was the Senior Director for Cybersecurity Policy at the White House during uh, the uh, Obama administration uh, and also at the early months of the Trump administration. And in that work, he had a portfolio spanning a real a whole range of critical infrastructure sectors. Uh, and he was also engaged in technology policy and adjacent areas uh, related to cyber areas such as privacy and, and encryption. Um, prior to that, uh, uh, Andy was with the Department of Commerce and was senior advisor for technology policy to Secretary Pritzker, uh, where he was looking at a whole range of technology policy issues, including, of course, uh, cybersecurity, but as well things like the Internet of Things and privacy. Uh, and so on. And then prior to that, he was a professional staff member at the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, where he was uh, at the, the chairman uh, at that point in time, the chair was uh, Senator Feinstein, and he was uh, her lead staff overseeing uh, cyber-related activities of the intelligence uh, community. And so just an incredible set of experience. I'll also mention that he holds a law degree uh, from the University of California at Berkeley, uh, he has a master's in public administration from Harvard and a BA from the University of Kentucky. So just an extraordinarily well-qualified and experienced person in cyber. So Andy, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to spend some time with us today. I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm honored uh, to be the, the first guest on this uh, exciting new uh, podcast. And just, just to maybe take a trip down memory lane, John, I think you and I first met I want to say it was 2011, I was working on the Hill and you had done a really fascinating paper on uh, the cybersecurity of computer chips. And I just remember uh, getting a briefing from you on that topic and just being enormously impressed that we had a, a you know, brilliant um, electric engineer who could also you know, speak policy. Um, and so it's, it's, I'm gratified that you know some seven years later we're we're we're, we're still uh, able to, to to collaborate and, and stay in touch. So that, I, I appreciate the the memory there. I, I'll mention that at the moment you were talking there, the audio seemed to cut out, and so in case any of the listeners think that that you were that anything was censored, it was mere coincidence. At the very moment you were you were mentioning what I was talking to you about, the audio cut out, but. Um, anyway, so, so if, you, if you can, we'll move to the questions here. If you can just tell us a little bit about how you, you know, obviously you've had extensive experience, but how did you get involved in, in cybersecurity and, and what are the, 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 some of the areas that you've been most interested in and focused on over the years? Yeah, so I, you know, I started my uh, career with, with the aspiration of, of becoming a law professor. My, my area of interest in research and teaching coming out of graduate school was international trade. and um, needless to say, that's you know uh, not not where I ended up. Although in in a strange twist of fate, I'm I'm finding myself more and more engaged on trade issues in in uh, global uh, technology governance affairs, including cybersecurity. 
Um, I ended up uh, partly, uh, mostly I should say, due to some serendipity, uh, spending um, you know, the next you know, uh, period of my career at a think tank in Washington uh, focused on nuclear nonproliferation issues. And, you know, as, as I, you know, matured in that field and, and kind of looked out at the horizon of issues uh, on the national security agenda, um, you know, I, I really, so this is now in what, 2008, 2009, thought to myself, you know, I want to, you know, nonproliferation is a fascinating field, a uh, lot of important, you know, impactful things going on in the world and, and, and in, in policy, um, you know, around North Korea and whatnot. Um, but you know, as a as a as a policy domain, I you know I always felt that that it was pretty mature, and that um, you know while you know there are lots of brilliant thinkers in the field, um, you know the, the the room for original thinking, partly because it was a, a pretty well established field, was 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 a little smaller than the than the policy market me um, preferred, and so I started to kind of survey issues that you know had some. Um, you know, some sort of affinities with certain aspects of nonproliferation policy that I liked, you know, including questions about deterrence and um, the role of, you know, the intersection of technology with national security. And as I'm thinking about this, uh, I get an, an email from uh, my boss, Think Tank, that uh, basically said something like, Dear Andy, you know, when you have a moment, I'd love for you to take a look at this new report on, uh, you know, Russia nuclear weapon strategy or something, something along those lines. And I read this email and just based on the tone and um, my, my sense of my, my boss's uh, interests and uh, style of communication, that this email did not come from my boss. And so I forwarded to uh, RIT people and uh, we, we learned uh, partly as a result of, of my tip that, uh, that the PLA, that the Chinese People's Liberation Army, had uh, infiltrated our, our networks along with uh, the networks of, as it would turn out, uh, as it would later turn out, uh, other Washington, D.C. Think, uh, think tanks, um, as well as uh, both of the two presidential candidate, uh, campaigns at the time, Obama and McCain. And so I thought, huh, maybe the cyber business is something I should, you know, I should, I should take a look at. And so that, that was kind of the moment that's for a, me. That's a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating introduction to the, uh, to the challenges of cyber. Wow, that was uh, very astute of you to, uh, to, to, to catch that and, and to run that down. That's a fascinating story. And so, yeah, so, you know, seven, eight years later, uh, nine years later, actually, you know, here, here, here I am. Um, you know, cyber policy as, you know, as, as a domain has, has matured in a lot of important ways since then. You know, for, for better or mostly for worse, we have a lot more case studies, um, you know, things that have gone wrong or in some cases right since then that I think have, you know, helped the field to, to develop. And, um, but, you know, we're, we're still, you know, in pretty early days in, in, in this field. I, I would, you know, sort of put us, you know, kind of the equivalent of maybe where we were in the 1950s uh, with respect to the challenges and uh, opportunities in some cases that, that nuclear issues posed for the economy and, 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 and for uh, national and global security. And hopefully we'll make progress in, in years and not, and, and it won't take us decades, but I guess it probably will take us decades in cyber as well. So, um, so let me ask what, um, what are some of, you know, obviously, cyber is just an extraordinarily broad. You know, cyber means 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 everything from you know, you know, keeping your passwords you know safe you know uh, for your your personal 
you know, accounts to protecting, you know, the electrical grid from, from, you know, state sponsored uh, potential tax. So what are some at the national level, what are some of the key cyber issues that you think need uh, attention? So I would, I would break it into a couple, a couple of buckets. Uh, you know, I sort of start with consumer cybersecurity, right? What, what should, you know, you know, ordinary people like, you know, you and me and our families and friends do to protect themselves. And, and, and perhaps more importantly, you know, what, what should the ecosystem of providers of services and technologies that we use day to day do to, you know, sort of fulfill their, their end of, of the security bargain. Uh, I don't think there's a ton of clarity around, around that question. I think the, the other bucket of issues is around uh, critical infrastructure. Um, you know, it, you know, does the, uh, you know, is, is the market as it were supplying a sufficient incentive for the, the companies that provide, you know, critical, uh, services, uh, electric grid, um, communications, uh, you know, uh, financial services, you know, are, are they, are they investing, is the market providing enough incentive for them to invest the appropriate amount in protecting against cybersecurity risks, given that you know, if things go south, uh, the the consequences could be uh, cascading and, and potentially catastrophic. Um, I'd say there's a, another set of questions around, you know, um, enterprise cybersecurity outside of critical infrastructure. Um, you know, which which gets at questions uh, oftentimes of, of of privacy and 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 what what an appropriate risk management strategy is for an enterprise that, that holds uh, personal data. Um, and then last, last but not least is uh, the, the, you know, the role of cyber as a contested domain in uh, geopolitics and the role of um, cyber, cyber capabilities in, in, in U.S. defense strategy. You know, each, each one of these domains has its own sort of set of, of challenges, but, but at the end of the day, uh, I think you can boil a lot of it down to what what you know what is the appropriate way to think about managing cyber risks in a uh, an interdependent um, you know environment where you know the same technologies that you know adversaries might want to hold at risk um, for financial gain for espionage uh, or, or uh, in, in wartime are also uh, you know deeply embedded in our daily uh, social life, our economy, um, and accessible to adversaries in ways that until pretty recently, um, you know, we're not. I mean, the United States has long benefited from having, you know, friends to the north and south and, and oceans on either side. Um, and, you know, you know, sort of enjoyed a, a sort of a, a geographic buffer from um, individuals threatening the homeland. Um, you know, th those buffers, Started to you know reveal some you know some uh, some fallibility you know in the in the face of terrorism and and I think um, you know cyber threats are, are just another uh, pretty significant you know chink in that um, that geographic armor um, and so go ahead right no so that's I think you've done a, that's a great taxonomy and I guess you know it would then you're to the question of which of these areas need uh, attention at the national level. I guess the easy answer is all of them. Um, but, um, and I guess it's also sort of obvious that, you know, for example, that, for example, protecting, you know, against uh, the potential of cyber terrorism is clearly a national level uh, responsibility. But, but is there anything kind of more, you know, 
less obvious that you'd say about you know emphasis, things that sh aspects of cyber that you think are particularly deserving of uh, national level attention again other than the obvious you know such as protecting critical infrastructure well of course right yeah no I, I think yeah and I, I think it is it is easy to say that that you know that there are, you know, these are all big problem areas. And, you know, the problem though is if, you know, if, if everything is a priority, nothing is. And, uh, you know, in, in cyber, point, right? you know, in cyber, you know, specifically, particularly, I, I always found that, you know, just, just the sheer breadth of problems. So, you know, in my, 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 my job at the National Security Council, you know, there are, you know, a couple dozen directorates, other directorates at the National Security Council. You know, I was in the cybersecurity directorate. There, there are directorates on non-liberation, directorates on, you know, regional, um, you know, re regionally focused directorates like Europe, Asia, and so on. And, you know, I can honestly say that in my time, there wasn't a single directorate that we didn't engage with in, in partnership um, on a, you know, so-called cyber and problem. So cyber and nonproliferation, cyber and China, cyber and Russia, um, you know, cyber and surveillance. Right, but you know, but it's it's it makes sense because you know what what isn't digital these days, right? I mean, what what aspect? So that yeah, that's that's so it's really sort of touched every. It's interesting that it touched every kind of aspect of your of your work. Your yeah, your and so yeah, and so in a lot of these domains, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're, we, we're, we're responding. You know, government's responding to an event, and so it's not like you know we can sort of pick. Government can pick a priority in those cases. There, there's a, a need that needs to get addressed. Um, but, you know, in terms of actually, you know, proactively uh, identifying areas of priority, I mean, I think that, that you know, performing that function is essential because otherwise, you know, nothing's a priority. And so I, I would say to me, you know, one, one issue that really jumps out at, 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 at me based on my experience is I, I think there's a lot of open questions around um, the, the appropriate allocation of responsibility between uh, the government and the private sector uh, for defending against um, cybersecurity threats. And so I'll, I'll you know, use an analogy from the physical world. Um, you know, we, would, we would never you know, expect in a million years a, you know, the operator of you know, a power plant to defend the plant against a North Korean ballistic missile. That, that's, that, that mission is squarely the government's job. Um, and, you know, you know, the, the, the cyber analog to that, though, is a little tricky because, um, you know, if, if North Korea, you know, uh, conducted a, a highly, highly, highly sophisticated attack against the plant, we might say, okay, well, yeah, you know, maybe it's unreasonable for the plant uh, to be able to defend against, you know, that, that kind of sophisticated attack. Um, but what if it was just a, a criminal group, uh, a domestic criminal operator who happened to come up with a, a sophisticated attack? You know, does it matter, you know, that the identity of the perpetrator was a nation state versus, you know, just some, you know, uh, ambitious vandal, right? And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, if, if a, you know, if North Korea were to send in a, a lone agent to break into the power plant and sabotage it, uh, and the sabotage caused you know, catastrophic power outages and damages to, to the economy and loss of life. Obviously, that's still a, you know, a national security uh, matter for the government to devote resources to both preventing and, and remedying. But we would also have a lot of questions about you know, whether or not the power plant operator did its job. We would want to know, okay, so did you have perimeter security? 
Did you lock the front door? Why, you know, was your facility vulnerable to such a single point of, of failure? Um, and so in that case, you know, there's both, there's a blended responsibility. And I, I don't think that that, that line, you know, is, 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 is clear in, in the cyber context because, uh, you know, a nation state adversary could use a relatively uh, low end, even unsophisticated attack to, uh, you know, conduct a, a national security stop, you know, an attack with national security implications, partly owing to the fact that it was a nation state that, that did it. Right, and right. in that case, we'd have a lot of you know we wouldn't it would, it would, it's a national security issue. The government has a responsibility. Right, so, so you're you're saying that this at this sort of allocation, you can it's easy it's easy to come up with the sort of you know the 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 extreme ends of the spectrum are easy, right? You know, yeah. Um, where but 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 most of the stuff that we actually encounter in terms of cyber challenges is obviously going to be somewhere in the in the less clear middle ground. And you're saying that allocation of responsibility is 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 hard. And that's I think it's a actually ter- ter- terrific point. The other thing I wanted to briefly reflect on is you made a really important comment, which is that you know you you stated correctly, of course, that it, it's it's clear that there is a there's a lot of energy spent sort of responding to crises, cyber crises of one form or the other. I guess my question in response to that observation is, you know, is that also a risk in this? I mean, it's a risk in any domain, but is it a particular risk in this domain that our energies understandably get directed towards you know you know solving crises but in doing that we then fail to sort of take a step back and you know t- look at the big picture and, and take some of the steps that could make some of these crises not happen in the first place yeah it, it, it is a challenge and i think you know if i could you know pick up you know a point of optimism here it's that part of the reason why i hope why you know crises consumed you know, so much bandwidth in, during my time in government is that because often, oftentimes, you know, these, these crises, you know, presented matters of first impression for uh, decision makers. And, uh, you know, especially the time when um, the, the, the broader cyber mission space, uh, you know, was, was um, evolving within and across different agencies of the government, um, you know, it, it, it meant that, getting decisions made on cyber questions just took a lot more time, energy, and resources than they might take on, in, in other domains. And so, you know, my, my, my point of optimism is that as, as the, the government develops uh, some muscle memory around uh, how to deal with um, policy challenges in the cyber context, those decision costs will start to come down. Uh, they may still be high, you know, relative to other domains, but they hopefully won't be quite as high as I, 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 I thought they were at least um, during, during my time in government. That's, that's, that's a great observation, thanks. Let me move on to a question about, um, about sort of legislation. And I guess the question, you know, is, uh, do you think uh, that, there, that, that the challenge would benefit from any new legislative initiatives in Congress in this area, or, or, or is it simply a matter of making better use of the frameworks uh, that we already have in place? Is, are there any glaring gaps in the sort of statutory framework associated with cyber that, that you think need to be addressed? So, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, when, you know, when I was on the Hill uh, working in the Senate, I was involved in, in, in what uh, was sort of the, the first um, major kind of bipartisan cyber legislative push in the Senate. Um, you know, it included an information sharing title that, that, that I had uh, 
had the lead on that ultimately uh, President Obama signed uh, a version of it into law. Um, and, and we were saying so a, really a title, you, you're, you're referring to a portion of... A part of the bill, yeah. yeah. The other part of the bill, uh, that bill, uh, concerned critical infrastructure and um, early on in the process, the proposal was to regulate the cybersecurity of critical infrastructure. Um, that that thinking uh, evolved over the course of you know the sort of sausage making legislative process to one that um, emphasized uh, development of voluntary frameworks. Um, that the, the bill failed, but then the Obama administration, in an executive order, um, essentially uh, mandated development of voluntary frameworks. That that effort ultimately yielded uh, the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, which is a sort of a voluntary um, uh, framework for, uh, it's a tool in essence for, for enterprises to manage their cyber risk. Um, I, I think we're gonna start to see a lot of debate in the coming years over you know, whether that you know, decision to shift to voluntary approaches you know, circa 2012, 2013, um, was was the right decision, whether it holds up uh, under current um, economic and uh, threat um, circumstances. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, there's some real gaps in data around um, the level of investment in, in, in different uh, critical infrastructure sectors, um, the, uh, the extent to which um, uh, certain sectors are, are managing uh, their their risks in accordance with um, you know the threats that they they face. And isn't and correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't another problem? I mean, I, I agree with you by the way. Is, isn't another challenge? I would say with with making that evaluation is in some sense by definition you know the things that worked we don't really hear about right. I mean, so to, to the right. extent to the extent that you know voluntary approaches have been effective in you know, deterring what would otherwise have been significant attacks, well, of course, by definition, we don't know publicly necessarily that those attacks ever would have even happened. And, and right. so it's, it, it's, you know, it's, 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 an odd, it's an odd challenge because, you know, the, the things that are visible are the things that go wrong, which is, of course, you know, a problem with security, a challenge with the security domain in general, but if it's a challenge we have in cybersecurity as well. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, and then the flip side of it is, you know, if, if, if you know, the country does decide to go down, you know, a, a, a more regulatory approach, whether that's across sectors or, or you know, for, for certain sectors, then, you know, I mean, there's a question of how, how you know, can, can we keep, can the government keep up um, with the rapidly evolving uh, technological uh, landscape and uh, rapidly adapting threat environment? Um, and so and that seems real. like that's an extraordinary challenge. I mean, just because, yeah. you know, say what you will about the government, but it's not necessarily known as the most nimble actor out there, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and by, you know, that's in stark contrast, you know, this is arguably one of the domains which is the most dynamic and the most quickly yeah. changing. And so you have a domain where the landscape can be shifting, you know, literally on scales of weeks or even days, you know, with, uh, with you know, an enormous, you know, heavily bureaucratic organization. So that, that's, that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's an enormous challenge. And I think we're going to see a real push. Uh, we're already starting to see some pretty strong signs of it. For a you know a baseline U.S. federal privacy statute, um, uh, somewhat akin to uh, the the um, regulation in Europe known as the GDPR, the General Data Privacy Regulation. Right. That just that just that just you know, a lot of press about that just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and so you know that 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 statute's focused on uh, consumer privacy. You know, what are the rights and and, and and obligations of citizens and businesses? 
in, in the protection of, of, of people's uh, uh, identifiable information. Um, but you know, part of part of you know that 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 regulation is a requirement that um, you know businesses protect uh, information. Uh, in other words, they secure it. And so there, there's a cybersecurity piece of it that uh, I think right. just has enormous. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it, 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 it's a pretty you know uh, significant um, you know regulatory intervention. Uh, in cybersecurity, and I think we're going to see a lot more interest in the United States uh, in uh, not not a you know a mirror image or a, a copy of GDPR, but in a baseline uh, federal privacy bill that that establishes kind of a minimum set of requirements for businesses that collect and, and process uh, personally identifiable information. In the United right, States. and of course, and part of that would be security. Right, and of course, a lot of a lot of businesses or companies that that you know, provide international services, uh, even if they're U.S. companies, are already, you know, uh, implementing things to to comply with with the new European framework. Just because you know, it's it's in some sense simpler to have one global framework uh, as opposed to you know doing one thing in the U.S. and, the, and another in Europe in terms of of how they protect uh, their 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 users' information. So, um, so yeah, that's yeah. It's interesting, you know, and it's interesting because sometimes, sometimes privacy is portrayed not, not inaccurate, but not inaccurately, by the way, as as something that can be in, in tension with some aspects of cybersecurity. But in this case, you're pointing out, I think that there's there's in fact an example of where there's an alignment, right? Where where the you know the requirement to protect privacy, of course, in some sense, by definition, is going to require companies to look carefully at the security they have in their systems to make sure they're in for, or to at least reduce the chance that their consumers or the customer's information is compromised. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the more challenging um, dimensions of, of, of privacy to sort of capture in legislative or regulatory form. Cause at the end of the day, you know, security is about risk management, right? If, if, you know, if, if there's a, you know, a, a legal requirement as there is in GDPR, for example, that, you know that a company get a consent from someone before they, you know, they 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 take and and, and use their data. You know, that that's sort of a black and white issue, right? Either the person has or hasn't consented to to that that collection, and um, it's a pretty objective analysis as to whether companies complied with that or not. Security, though, I mean, it's about risk management, and that that's a far more subjective, um, you know, uh, enterprise, and so. I, 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 so I guess I'll say two things. One is I, I predict that there will be a lively debate, um, maybe even some, some more than half-baked uh, legislative proposals in the next Congress on privacy, and that two, that the cybersecurity, the security piece of it may end up being uh, one of the most challenging parts of it um, for this reason I mentioned, right? That the fact that, that security is, is, you know, judging uh, an enterprise's, you know, security posture is far more subjective than I think judging some of, you know, their other behavior around the collection and, and, and right. use of, of data. And, 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 you know, to echo that, not only is judging it hard, but, but mandating it is hard. Like, you know, what right. exactly do you mandate? And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so let me ask another, another question, which is, you know, given your, your just, you know, many years of experience in this, yeah, there's so much noise in, in the cyberspace, right? It's, I mean, there's so much, you know, there's so much press and some of it's, you know, very informative, but some of it's frankly clutter. And I guess, um, given all the uh, all the kind of information overload that anybody who spends any time looking at this space is you know, subjected to, are, are there any areas of cyber that you think are particularly underappreciated? In other words, that that aren't getting the attention they deserve in light of their potential importance, and that could be importance in a, in a, in a 
defense context, in a commercial context, any context? Is, is there anything that you think that, hey, this isn't getting enough attention, this sub-area yes. of cyber? Yeah, so I, I mentioned the allocation of responsibility question for critical infrastructure. That, that's one. I'll, I'll offer two, two additional ones. Uh, the first is um, you know, a lack of really reliable data around the cost of cyber incidents. Um, so that, you know, there are various studies out there on you know, what a data breach costs, um, you know, the studies, uh, I, I won't get into a ton of detail, but you know, the methodology is, is sketching a few of them. Um, the data sets are, are, of, uh, are, are limited. And um, what, what we're seeing more and more is scholars and statisticians pulling some pretty divergent conclusions from this data, which says something about the data, right? So uh, just as an example, you know, there's a prominent study that the Poneman Institute puts out on the cost of a data breach that I think in 2017, they, they, they identified an average cost of $7.35 million for enterprise that suffers a breach. Uh, whereas another scholar recently uh, found uh, using a different data set um, that the cost is closer to $200,000. So I mean, there's huge orders of magnitude difference. And I, I, my, my concern is that then if you look at the stock prices of companies that suffer a breach, uh, you know, a quarter of the, the studies that have tried to look at um, the effect of a breach on a stock price have actually found no statistically significant effect, which is to say, you know, who, you know, they're not really. Uh, there was the, 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 market, effect, the market right? didn't, didn't price didn't, that. Yeah. The and then, you know, and in cases where there was some effect, it was pretty modest. And uh, all, all which begs the question, okay, like, you know, we read all these horror stories in the paper about cybersecurity incidents. You know, are they really that costly? Uh, just another example, you know, Target, um, I think in the end, so they, they had to pay, uh, I think, a $39 million uh, uh, settlement um, to credit card companies uh, for their breach in uh, you know, so some, some years ago. Uh, that breach involved theft of credit card information, which required the, the issuers to basically issue new cards to issue a bunch of customers. Uh, and then they, they had to pay, I think, another, you know, just in terms of internal remediation of, of the breach, you know, $200 million. And, you know, so, so we're talking $250 million uh, for a breach, which sounds like a pretty eye-popping figure. And, you know, I mean, that, that is real money, obviously. But when you look at Target's annual revenue, which is somewhere in the order of $70 billion, and you, you know, consider the fact that most retailers suffer um, just internal theft rates of around 1% of revenue, um, you know, this is literally just inventory that walks out the front door either because right. of an employee or someone walks in and pockets it. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, just, just under a billion dollars a year, uh, which, you know, which obviously retailers care about. They invest resources in trying to combat it, but they also price it into their, uh, their business operations and, and their, their assumptions about revenue. And this, this incident, right, this $250 million incident was a third of, of that, of, of just right. the, the retail shrinkage cost, right? right. So and, and that was that one puts the figure in perspective. Exactly, right. and that was one incident, you know, and you're talking, you know, the figures you cite about shrinkage is, it's an annual, you know, it happens every yeah. year, right? And right. so, and so, you're, you're, so in that, you know, while it's, as you said, $250 million is obviously an enormous amount of money, in context, you know, the costs due to, you know, I, mean, I can't remember when that incident was, was it three years ago or so? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the cost due to shrinkage has, has far exceeded that. And then that obviously, you know, plays into this question of incentives and, you yeah. know, uh, which of course you see, you know, in all, in 
all sorts of security things. Well, that's a really interesting, interesting yeah. perspective. Well, and, and, I, and I worry, you know, I worry less about large companies and more about small to medium sized enterprises who, you know, who see this, this, you know, this data, which is all over the place and are left without really, I think, uh, having a really good understanding of, okay, what, you know, what, what does, what would a cyber incident cost me? Um, which bears on their, you know, uh, ability to make informed, sound investment decisions in mitigating cyber risk. And so I, 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 I think that's an area where I would like to see a lot more uh, both scholarly attention and focus by industry and government. Because I think if we can generate better data about the cost of cyber incidents, it will help um, enterprises across the country manage their risk more effectively and, and potentially even uh, create a more uh, vibrant insurance market to, to further. Right. I, and I think your point about, I think your point about the small and medium sized business is really well taken because, you know, in some sense, the market has already spoken. I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, some of these ransomware attacks where the attackers very often don't go after the big players, right? They go after, you know, municipalities or hospitals or, you know, entities that are like, you know, you know, are likely not to have enormous resources to invest specifically in cybersecurity. And so they're in some sense easier targets than, than the, the quote wealthier, larger companies that are likely to be far more well protected. So I think, yeah. you know, and, and of course the, the number of small and medium sized enterprises in the United States is just absolutely enormous. So the, even though the per company costs, you know, to secure one of those companies, you know, cybersecurity may not be as large as for an enormous company. The aggregate cost of securing that whole sector of the economy is, is just enormous. And so you're, it's enormous. Yeah. Your point about assessing cyber risk and pricing it is, is, is really well taken. And it's an area that I think it'd be great to have some, some more data and research on. Yeah. And then, I, and then the, other, the other area that I'll, 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 I'll need more attention is yeah, it's a sort sort of set of what I call third country issues in offensive cyber operations. So one of the quirks, one of the many quirks of cyberspace, is that unlike you know uh, the physical world where you know you know, you know where the missile came from, right? You know you know where the missile came from, but you, you also you know if, if you're you know if, if if the U.S. military has a CT target, a counterterrorism target in Yemen, and you know wants to action a strike. Uh, because you know they, they want to generate a particular effect. Maybe it's you know kill kill a bad guy or disrupt operational planning or whatever. You know the strike is conducted in Yemen. The effects are the, the physical effects are confined to Yemen. Now, in the cyber context, that identity relationship between the physical location of the adversary and the you know target, as it were, the physical target isn't in place. So, um, you know, an adversary may be in country A operating uh, malicious cyber infrastructure in country B. And so an operation against that adversary in country A, it may actually have to take place in country B, which may or may not have anything to do with whatever conflict, um, you know, uh, the U.S. government or pick your government has with, with, with country A. Um, and so now there's a third country in the mix that creates some, I think, some challenging policy and, and legal questions. Um, and, and I would assume that's not only the uh, not only the exception. That's that's likely more often than not going to be the case, right? If if you're an attacker, the last thing you want to do is you know is is make it obvious where the attack's coming from. So I would assume one of the first things you're going to do is to try to launch it from somewhere that that at least tries to mask your identity. Right. Right. And, you know, one, one of one of the, you know, the, the, the 
unfortunate twists here is that our adversaries are also very familiar with U.S. Uh, surveillance law and uh, uh, constitutional protections here um, domestically. And so what, what, what adversaries will do is they will purposefully compromise infrastructure in the United States and use that infrastructure as part of their attack uh, infrastructure because they know that it's, in, 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 a, in a way, uh, as a practical matter, it's harder for the U.S. government to operate domestically against a national security threat um, such as that than it is if that same infrastructure were in a third country. Right, um, right. Because they, you know, we would need probable cause and, you know, satisfy, you know, legal requirements that, that just aren't the same if we're operating overseas. Right. Um, well, that's an interesting observation. Well, looking, looking forward, um, you know, in, in the cyber context, what, what gives you the most concern? What, you know, um, you know, is there, is there a particular area that, you know, you think we're, uh, that worries you more than others? Uh, or, or is the answer to that sort of, you know, the answer to what you already said in, in, in the other questions in terms of concerns that you have generally? So I, I you know, I think that the, the, the world we're headed towards is one, we sort of have this, we have, an, we have a, an inflection point ahead of us where either, you know, the world sort of divides into um, sort of tech enclaves where, so maybe there's a China enclave where, you know, that market is, served by Chinese goods and services. There's, you know, an American or Western enclave where maybe it's mostly American companies, maybe some European countries that, 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 that serve that market. Or, uh, you know, we, we continue to operate in the more integrated uh, economy that we live in today where, you know, products incorporate, uh, you know, uh, um, components from, from all over the world. And, you know that that first model i think is it's not only bad for innovation um and the global economy but i think it's really bad for democratic values and you know sort of a, a free and open internet um, it's not not very efficient either if we got to it's not very efficient either right everyone's got to reinvent the reinvent yeah. the wheel in you know 50 different places yeah but on the other hand you know if we're, if we're gonna you know preserve you know the, the the market that we've we we you know that we have which is an integrated market um and you know fight off uh protectionist forces then we have to figure out how to deal with the national security implications of um you know whether that's chinese production of chips whether that's um you know uh concerns about implantation of of backdoors um, because, you know, th th these pressures have, have only grown over the past five or six years. And as, you know, Internet of Things devices uh, roll out uh, and become, you know, ever more embedded in, in our economy and more visible um, and, and, and more part of critical infrastructure, the pressures on the security side to tap the brakes will only grow. And if, 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 if policymakers and academics can't, you know, articulate um, you know, strategies, uh, whether in law, policy, or technology, to manage these risks, and I, I fear we're headed, you know, we're headed towards that, 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 that first paradigm, uh, the paradigm of, 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 um, of you know, uh, fractitious, uh, fragmented uh, global internet and global uh, information technology ecosystem. Right. Okay, let me ask another question. I mean, there's a, and this is the one if, if, where anybody who's a, 
a venture capitalist should be particularly interested in your answer here. So, um, or, or a startup company, you know, obviously there's an enormous commercial sector uh, devoted towards cyber uh, solutions of all, of all shapes and sizes. Um, I guess the question is, you know, while it's a, a large sector, it's less clear that it's covering all the bases. You know, I, you know, is that the question is, is that, a, is that market efficient? Um, or are there, are, are there some, any obvious gaps in the types of solutions you see reflected in today's commercial offerings? I mean, is there anything, you know, if, if, you know, if you were going to, you know, leave the academic slash policy world and, and you know, start a cybersecurity company, is there a particular, you know, se sector of cybersecurity that you think is ripe for uh, uh, better solutions commercially? Yeah, I, I think any, any technology uh, that can do what a human does in cybersecurity more efficiently and more effectively um, has huge potential because, you know, t time and time again, um, you know, the, the, the critical shortage in enterprises, whether it's the federal government or, or in uh, private companies, is human capital. Um, you know, the need for people to, you know, do IT and, um, you know, solutions that, that can, you know, perform, can automate these tasks, I think, have huge potential um, in the future. Um, you know, I think uh, IoT cybersecurity is, um, I think, a, uh, you know, a massive opportunity, um, you know, uh, how to both, you know, you know, build efficient solutions into products, um, but also how to retrofit um, products that have bad security um, with more effective security. I think. And that, so it sounds like you're saying, market. you know, AI, the AI cyber intersection is is one that's got a lot of potential. Um, you know. Yeah, although I, you know, I mean, it's funny if you, you know, you know, if you go to cybersecurity conferences, I mean, pretty much every vendor has AI in there. Right. In there. It's, it's, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the buzzword the, everyone's using. But then yeah. the question is, you know, how how much of that you know, is AI? Is I is it is AI is it good AI and is it you know really you know doing the things that you were mentioning about replacing some of the you know thinking that a human can do just because of the scale right that we just don't yeah. have people to sort of do all the things that and you know if they you know, that ideally we we could do the other thing you mentioned IoT which where I absolutely agree with and I guess I'll I'll mention that that makes me think of you know this the next generation of cellular wireless standards you know, the five G mm -hmm. standards which are you know kind of just being finished in their development and, you know, the 5G is going to be really all about IoT, and so it seems like the security aspect of that is going to be just a central feature or issue as that gets deployed. Yeah, you know, in the, in the coming years, and that's that's starting, I guess, really this year with some of the deployments. So that's yeah. an important issue as well. Yeah, that's right. So again, the final question, I guess, is then you know for for people in the academic community um, on the sort of you know cyber policy side, you know, again, putting uh, putting the obvious, you know you know, aside, you know, is there anything that you see as a particularly, you know, ripe avenue for people in the academic policy world uh, to contribute to help move the, the dialogue forward on cyber issues? Yeah, so on, on, on sort of the policy side specifically, because I'm, I'm not equipped to talk about the, you know, the, the hardcore engineering side of this, I would say one area is, uh, you know, data on cost of incidents, on the behavior of enterprises in the face of uh, uncertainty around cyber risk. I, I think there's a huge need and, and opportunity for, uh, you know, for, for doctoral students looking for dissertations to, you know, to, to, to delve into some of these empirical questions about uh, measurement and, uh, and whatnot. Um, you know, I think there's, uh, I would love to see more uh, psychologists in the cybersecurity business. 
Um, you know, if you look at studies of how adversaries break into um, enterprises and, and you know, uh, organizations, they're almost, you know, for the most part, exploiting human weaknesses. Um, this is, you know, spear phishing, right, right, right. you know, right. things like that. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, getting a better handle on how to make people, whether they're IT professionals or just users of IT, um, you know, either less vulnerable or more effective at pending off attacks, I think would be, uh, I think there's a huge uh, need uh, and maybe some fascinating questions of psychology there. Um, and then I think, you know, there's, um, I think a need for, uh, you know, um, you know, management scientists, um, organizational scientists to um, start to unpack um, how businesses and governments and businesses uh, both within sectors and across sectors can collaborate on common challenges and, uh, you know, better characterizing you know, what are the, you know, what can we learn from history about the ability of like-minded or similarly situated um, institutions to tackle complex um, management, uh, you know, because so managing cybersecurity risk is ultimately a management challenge for enterprise, you know, tackling a complicated management challenge like uh, cybersecurity. Well, it sounds um, like a, there's no shortage of things for people no in the academic community to work on there. I think guess we should all get cracking. So, it's, uh, <laughs> so okay, well, we'll uh, uh, anything else you'd like to add before we uh, wrap things up here? No, not, no, nothing other than uh, it's been great to be on the show and I'll look forward to, uh, you know, um, tuning in often. Uh, thanks, thanks very much uh, and uh, look forward to following your work and it's uh, really been great to having you. So same here, John. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution. For more podcasts and ideas from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org.